It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 203, The Prophet Daniel, The Character Test, and The Great Reward. Recently, a Barna Group study reported on the spiritual involvement of 20-somethings. The finding only 20% of students who were highly churched as teens remained spiritually active by 29. This study indicates 80% of believers, according to the study, lose their faith when they go off to college and they start maybe their business career. And it also points out many different other things. Um, the atheistic leanings of our collegiate institutions, for sure. But it's also the lack of faith in many Christians as well. In this episode, we speak to the opposite and what happens when a believer brings faith into the world and see what happens when a believer goes into his schooling and vocational trade and keeps his faith in the midst of one of the most wicked institutions ever created. And what reward God has for those who keep their faith and stand their ground against the demands of the world around them. Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these who were chosen were from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, Balthazar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Josephus suggested that these men may have become eunuchs, which was a practice where kings would castrate males at a young age, ensuring they will become lifelong servants not to marry or to have children. We don't know for sure if this happened to Daniel and his friends, but he suggested it. This practice has been done since the earliest times in history. The health consequences are horrific. And I confess, I didn't do a lot of... I started actually studying into um, the science, I guess you would say. Um, but I started reading a few things, and it just kind of grossed me out, so I stopped. Um, but even further into the church age, Jesus stated that if your eye causes you to sin, you should cut it out. Well, some monks in the church age, after the, the New Testament time period, 
in the early church days, they did just that. Unable to control their hormones, they felt they should self-castrate themselves as a form of holiness. There's a few guys in history who did this. And personally, in this time and age, the understanding of the power of holiness and how the Holy Spirit moves and empowers and delivers and impacts self-control and the tools we have at our disposal to go after lust, this just seems ludicrous and downright stupid. But this is what they did. So in case you ever wondered, castration has a strange place in history, and as perverted as the Babylonians are, which we'll cover, it was their practice to do this to some, we don't know for sure if it was Daniel or not, to some of their captured princes. All right, so let's cover Babylon. At this stage, Babylon owns the previous Assyrian Empire, minus modern-day parts of Iran um, and Egypt. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is a builder and he's enlarging Babylon. He's building temples, soon to improve upon the ancient Tower of Babel. He's going to build an enormous golden statue soon to himself. He set on making a name for himself by decorating his city walls and covering them in statues and engravings. He's working on the famed Hanging Gardens, which is another topic we'll probably cover later, um, it, and it's to honor his wife, the Princess of the Medes. And this is all impressive, but he has a darker side. And, I mean, did I mention that the Jewish historical accounts, they state he was a very, very short man. And I remember reading they called him diminutive in one of his uh, the descriptions of him. And I think this is more along the lines of, you know, conquered peoples typically accentuate the obvious negative features of a person. He'll be the committer of atrocities and horrible acts remembered through the ages. And he's probably shorter you know, and, and they probably call him like diminutive or, you know, maybe dwarf-like, but he's probably a shorter guy. I mean, we all know Napoleon was shorter. He wasn't as tiny as all the British made him sound, but he was a shorter person, um, not, you know, 5'1", like they, they said he was. So Nebuchadnezzar will be a committer of atrocities and horrible acts remembered through the ages. And, you know, let's just start it out. His father, Nabopolassar, he committed horrible crimes when he destroyed Asher in Nineveh. I mean, mass populations destroyed, killed, or deported. And it was atrocity, and it was, you know, did the Assyrians have it coming to them? However we want to say it, but... Um, this is his background, and Nebuchadnezzar was probably there. Um, and as his father dies, here is Nebuchadnezzar, now king. And, and when those rebel against him, he's seen atrocities. He's seen him committed by his father, so he walks right into this um, ruthlessness, let's call it. So he'll be the committer of atrocities, horrible acts remembered through the ages, Yet, he is God's instrument of judgment. And even referred to in one scripture, which is a bit freaky, where God says he's his servant. So there's something else interesting pointed out by Greg Hollis, a listener of the program. It's a question for many to ponder. And as we cover Nebuchadnezzar, is he in heaven? And consider it. As we go through this story, is he going to be like a Manasseh? who commits horrible crimes, but does he repent at the end? Um, and then, is he there? Is he not? Something to consider. Does he make the cut? So there is no right or wrong answer. Well, there is, but 
we don't know for sure on this side of heaven. We can't speculate, and only God knows the answer, but there are some clues as to what we believe the answer is. Anyways, Nebuchadnezzar is well known historically. He had numerous wives, he has an enormous temper, and a violent army. He ordered the death of anyone he chose because of his ultimate power he held at his command. Another scripture even says he he was the greatest of kings, at least at his time, and he commanded uh, both man and beast, which is, <laughs> I don't know what to make of that, but that's what the scripture says. There is one scene upcoming where he has a dream, and he commands the wisest in his nation to tell him his dream that he forgets. And if they can't tell him the dream and interpret it, he commands the death of all the wisest men and advisors in the kingdom. Yep, I mean, that's what he does. He orders the death of all the wise men and advisors in his kingdom in this one specific situation. Now, Daniel actually gets involved, and it's part of the story later. But that's the level of violence that he'll, he'll resort to. Another time, he commands a mammoth statue be built that appears to be just like him, and everyone must worship it. If they don't, he commands their death. And I think that these are just threats. No, actual people were thrown in the fire that didn't worship him. Jewish traditions um, tell of horrible slaughters that occurred after the siege of Jerusalem as well. See, this guy's odd. He's mixed up. He's power hungry. He's a bit crazy. And there's going to be some ver a very likable side to him as well. It's what happens when he hits rock bottom, which is going to be interesting. He builds the hanging gardens. He promotes God's people to exceedingly high positions instantly, like in the times of Joseph. He's full of violence and threats, yet promotion and even independent creative thinking. And when Daniel gets promoted, he gives them new titles. And he says, now you do whatever you want with this power. I wouldn't even hold you in check. And seriously, Daniel actually uses his power later for good. And Babylon becomes the place where the books of Moses, the prophecies, the Psalms, the Proverbs, and other works are transcribed and put together in what will become known as our future Bible. Daniel potentially uses the resources of the state of Babylon to actually put together the Bible. Further, Daniel finds himself over the magi, the astrologers, the wise men, and the visors to the king. What he does with this position is up to speculation, but just the use of the word magi conjures up a host of ideas that translate hundreds and hundreds of years from now. So as the hanging gardens are being built, the Tower of Babel gets new constructional supports and gets upgrades on its structure. I picture Daniel having hundreds of scribes working on the future Bible. All this, of course, is in the future, but it's a taste of it, and it tells you this unique relationship that our Daniel is going to have with Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel first must pass the Christian in the atheist college test. Now, the account states Daniel would be under three years of testing and education in the system of Nebuchadnezzar. Consider this the boarding school for the gifted in Babylon. But a, a better reference, the advanced colleges of today, just so we have a reference. So I'm going to go with Harvard, since it's the premier kind of liberal arts school of America. So say you've got an unbelievably handsome son or an unbelievably beautiful daughter, but they're not just beautiful, but surprisingly intelligent, top of the class in school. One of those rare cases of the smartest and the most popular and the most beautiful child in the class. 
and, and assemble them from across the entire globe, and now they're the students in the course, courts of Babylon. This three-year academy is also a training group uh, with classes, competitions, physical and mental uh, challenges, and all the greatest learning accumulated in the Babylonian Empire was in this academy, and the greatest teachers are there. Nebuchadnezzar most likely pulled the best teachers in the empire, um, recruited them, paid them enormous sums of money to become the mentors of these students. And this is the setting for the Daniel story. It's, a, it's the, the modern Harvard, but it's government run with the best of the best of the best, new age teachers, philosophers, idol worshipers, language teachers, architects, and engineers. You see, it's heaven for a pure student, but danger for the believer. Enter Daniel and his friends. Will they compromise or will they remain believers in this setting? Because not only is the education uh, amazing, but so is the quote-unquote religious education. Somehow they had to not compromise their faith, though they're in a idol-worshipping setting or empire, and in the midst of it is this school system. To not compromise, but honor the system. Daniel 1.8 But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you look worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. You see, Daniel made this stand. And, and it's about the, their diet. But it was in regards to the meat sacrificed to idols specifically. But then there's also certain foods like pork and other foods God commanded the Old Testament believers to not have. The official of the academy said, no way. You can't deny this food, much less waste away without, you would look terrible without pork and steak in your body, which was known its day to make men, right? Daniel refused taking a stand for his faith. So let's park it here and talk about uh, taking a stand for your faith. What does this mean to you and me? Think about this. Here is many a living example from my life where stories I've heard around me. A football coach insists on praying before games despite the school system's stance on the issue. How about a girl who's in a class on, from a standard state university in a class called Sexual Studies? And the assignment by the teacher was to have a sexual experience over the weekend and write a two-page paper about it. The student, a strong believer, wrote a four-page paper on why um, she has decided to save herself for her marriage. The response of the teacher, probably a very immature grad student to assign such an assignment, actually was impressed and gave her an A+. How about the born-again believer in the fraternity house who chooses to opt out of the party scene, not wanting the temptation in his life? Way to go, buddy. Proud of you. If you need encouragement, let me know. How about the lady who refuses to give in to her boyfriend out of her convictions and in the process realizes he wasn't right for her anyways? I mean, the list goes on and on. Every step in faith and conviction, it has a reward. God sees your stand and he blesses you and anoints you for greater, greater purposes. Back to Daniel's story. Daniel makes a bold statement out of faith. I mean, they show up, 
they have their traditions. They show up in Babylon. They're just not going to eat the food. That's what they decide, and their hearts are going to do, and they just go to Ashpenaz. This is no way. We have no record if this was told for him to say by God or if they just said it in faith. Most likely they just said it in faith. But the next scene is more like Daniel starting to demonstrate um, his gift of faith. Because he makes a statement where, where he knew this was going to happen and his faith just verbalizes a challenge. This is most unusual. Daniel 1.11 Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. So the Daniel fast is born. And when you fast, the Daniel fast is an option. Many go extended periods of time on the Daniel fast. Here's a description of the Daniel fast. So the Daniel fast is a fast of eating only fruits and vegetables for a certain amount of time and abstaining from meat products. Now, that's kind of the general form of the Daniel fast. Uh, I've seen Daniel fasts that actually include chicken. Uh, they actually include maybe just those foods that are authorized in the Old Testament, uh, kind of abstaining from red meat. Uh, and certain foods that come from certain animals. Um, so there's all types of versions. The most popular is just kind of like, in simple terms, would be like a veggie, a veggie or a fruit fast. You're, you're just eating fruits and vegetables. You stay away from meat products. Um, and oftentimes it's 21 days where people do a, a Daniel fast. Every day the guard tested them and they outperformed their classmates. There was something about this. Healthier is true. You know, better food has its impact on our complexion and your healthy appearance. Fruits and vegetables are going to make you look better, um, your skin tone and stuff. But when it comes to athletics, you got to have some protein. It makes a difference with the extreme calorie burn. But the primary point is, in the end, it was the supernatural confirmation of their stand in faith that made them outshine their peers. It was their stand in the academy for the things of God that pulled upon the favor of heaven, which led to powerful blessings for them. And I believe Daniel chose not to eat their meat. More likely, he, did, he wasn't going to touch the meat not allowed in his law, but I think potentially all their meat was a result of their sacrifices to their gods, and he could tell. And that's what he refused to do, and that's why he most likely just ate only fruits and vegetables. And at taking a stand for that, um, God rewarded them significantly. This unclean food that they didn't want clearly represented sin as well. They took a stand against sin, and the devil and the mountain sphere influence their society was in. God is calling you to draw a line against the world. There is a place where you're not supposed to go. In the case of Daniel, it was diet. In the case of you and your school, maybe it's the liberal teachings you're supposed to agree with. Maybe it's an atheist philosopher teacher that you're supposed to take a stand against, an example when that we'll end this episode with. Maybe it's swearing. Maybe it's lying under taxes. Follow the Spirit's leading and wait for the reward. 
because Daniel, he sure receives an incredible reward. Daniel 1.15 At the end of ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all types of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. After they took a stand for God, God gave them knowledge and understanding of all kinds of learning and literature. Further, he gave Daniel the gift of prophecy, and when the king tested them, they were found to be ten times better than the best that they could be found in the entirety of the kingdom. Remember those ten days of testing? Ten times better than all the others. And what a reward. Take note of one of those gifts, knowledge and learning and understanding of literature. This will be required when these four men lead an effort to compile the books of the Bible in the not-so-distant not future. Let's end this episode with a consideration of the schools in America and the world, if you want. Most of the Christians point out how in the 60s or, or whenever it was that prayer was removed from the education system of America, that some years later, it was the schools which erupted in violence and the school shootings. It's these connections that are spiritual answers to today's secular questions. It's not that God isn't allowed in the school system because believers, believe me, believers are in every school system, but it's the systematic removal of prayer as a classic instruction and that, that it kind of pulls away the prayer covering and removes a layer of protection. Does prayer protect our schools? Absolutely. Does God protect people every day? Of course. Does evil still happen, though? Yes. Make a point to pray for our schools, since they aren't praying for themselves sometimes. And further, pray for the students to rise up and declare their faith. Let faith arise in this secular and even Christian education system. I like the movie that came out a few years ago, God's Not Dead. It's an example of a, a student doing a Daniel. In the face of an atheist philosopher teacher, he declared his faith and challenged the teacher to debate at risk of self-embarrassment, failing the class and grade, and potentially ruining his future. It was brave what he did, the main character in the movie, because he refused to compromise his faith. Yet the result I can't share if you haven't seen the movie yet. But like Daniel, he receives a great reward. Remember, you're not of the world, though you're in it. Learn the culture and literature of the Babylonians, but do not give in to its temptations. Speak the language and befriend those around you. Influence them, but don't be influenced by them. Proverbs 3.7 Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Let conviction tell you when you are to take a stand, and God will empower you to rise to higher heights and fulfill his purposes for you.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.